Welcome to Dose of Support. We are an interdisciplinary show that highlights healthcare workers. We share stories and self-care in healthcare every week. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a healthcare worker just like you. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. Our guests are not your healthcare provider, and we're not giving healthcare advice here. Seek out care from your own healthcare provider. This podcast, host, guests, and associated social media platforms are not representing an employer or organization. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Let's huddle up again, doses. I just have to thank our community online because I actually took my son to a speech-language pathologist last week um, for an evaluation, and he has some delays in expression, and I was feeling so overwhelmed as a mom. And I had never been on the patient side of SLP work. You know, I've always worked with SLPs, speech language pathologists in my own work as a nurse, but I had never been on the patient side and I found myself on that side and overwhelmed. And actually a speech therapist from our Instagram community, from the Dose of Support Instagram community, all I had to do was reach out to her and she gave me some awesome ideas. And so thank you so much for coming together as part of Dose of Support to really like not just support me and the show, but like to find each other and make friends and really build this community of support for each other. I think that's like, you know, that was one of my goals with the show. And with that, we have another speech language pathologist on the show. This is only the second time we've had this profession represented. And so I hope you enjoy this episode with the smooth talking John Yadalahi. Stay tuned. Get ready for another dose of support. Today on the show, he never intended to pursue work as a speech-language pathologist, but here he is with a story of uncertainty. Master's prepared speech-language pathologist, John Yadolahi. Welcome, John. Hey, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Come on. I was just telling John that I was nervous um, because he's kind of a big deal. I found him on the internet when I watched a video, and um, we won't get into the details of of it, but on the video, he explained that he was a healthcare professional, and the other party in the video said that speech language pathologists aren't really healthcare professionals like to the I mean that's where that's kind of how it broke down and that made me so mad for you John like I know that's not the focus of the video and people can look it up if they want but I just thought gosh people must not know what a speech therapist does so could you enlighten us what is your training like what how did you train to be an SLP sure yeah it was it was interesting because it really I think uh, put a fine point on what we experience quite often. Uh, I don't think our field is widely understood. So um, the the breadth of our field is is pretty wide reaching. Um, I think in pretty much every state, there may be one in, in the United States, but in every other state, uh, you need to have a master's degree uh, with um, a bachelor's in either the same field or uh, something similar or related. 
Um, so we go through our undergrad and graduate program um, with externships uh, and clinical rotations. And then following uh, graduation with the master's degree, we have our clinical fellowship year, which is a, about a nine month period of time where we um, are working and getting paid at a, I think at a reduced rate, but still learning uh, very much still learning. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, you just never stop. So th- it's no, great that yeah. your profession really values that um, kind of residency period. Not everybody has that in their profession, and it sounds like SLP's got that part down. That's one thing we've got right, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a few things which I think uh, we make it into, but um, I did feel quite unprepared in other ways. Oh, tell me more about that. Well, you know, so when we talk about speech and language therapy and speech pathologists, um, oftentimes we think the first thing I think a lot of people consider or picture is somebody fixing the ER productions or um, working on articulation with children in schools, which is a huge and very important aspect of our field. And then there's also the language side, the cognition side, but there's also the area that I focus on, and that's swallowing issues or dysphagia. Um, And in my graduate program, I had one class on dysphagia, and that's about 90% of what I do. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Do you think that varies just based on your region or the school you go to? I I just find that kind of interesting. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, From my conversations, I think many programs are similar, although there are a few. I know University of Washington has a... uh, medical focused uh, med SLP program where I would imagine they have a lot more exposure to the medical side of our profession. So interesting. I didn't know there was that much variation and that exists, um, you know, when you compare that exists in nursing, that exists in respiratory therapy too. Like there's a lot of variation by state and by region just based on like what the needs are of the healthcare systems there. Okay, so you graduate from school, you start your work, you you specialize in this particular area, and I'm guessing you see a lot of like stroke patients or Yeah, that's one of our one of our big populations. Um but when I started I was actually um doing outpatient pediatric speech and language therapy for my clinical fellowship. And then from there I went to a skilled nursing facility for a short period of time and then got into acute care uh, where I still am. So now you're in like a hospital type setting or do you do like Mm -hmm. clinic follow-up? No, I only work in acute care at two hospitals. Um, I have two jobs here in in San Francisco. (laughs) Like like you're not busy enough? Like you just... (laughs) (laughs) No, surprisingly, I'm not. I have so much time when I get home to garden and game and do the things I love to do. Um, But it's a nice... uh, a nice schedule that I've got. I'm very lucky to have what I've got. That's awesome. So I guess that really provides you with a lot of variety and flexibility. If you're not like full-time at one place, you can kind of go between the two. And I like that plan. It's great. I do have a, a Patreon question for you that came up from one of my Patreons, Amy, who is a pharmacist. And she was wondering, it's her impression that SLPs get paid less than other rehab professionals because of it's it's not recognized as well as others. Like a physical therapist, for example, would potentially make more money than you. And her question was, is that true or is that just like a myth that she's been carrying around? 
Well, uh, these are, I mean, this is based on just my interactions and conversations with my colleagues who I'm very happy to call close friends as well. Um, and my understanding is that typically, yeah, we, we are on the lower side. I think it's oftentimes PT and then OT occupational therapy and speech therapy are pretty close. Um, but again, it varies wildly by setting. Yeah. And I'm sure by state in California, you're probably making a lot, a lot more because the cost of living is so much higher. Um, mm. at least so she, and, and she loves SLPs. Like she specifically has a story with, with her mother who received really good care from a speech language pathologist. And she was like, it, like it made a huge difference in, um, yeah. And so she's like, I don't want him to think that I'm not appreciating the work. I just, I have this misconception that they, that they get paid less in some, you know, maybe some specialties get paid more. And like you said, there must be variability. So. Right. Now I think it's, it's not maybe not a misconception, but it's more of a conception. <laughs> if you can say that, I mean, it's, it's pretty accurate. But <laughs> Amy, I'm, I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad that, um, her mother, your mother, Amy, got um, the care she needed, and thank you for Aww. recognizing us. Oh, why do you think that that rift exists between rehab professionals like yourself and physical therapists, occupational therapists? Got to tread carefully here because. Um, oh, they're your colleagues. Like I totally get. Oh, it. not even that. I, I mean, we're we're great friends for the most part. Um, I'm just thinking from a representation standpoint, um, and what our sorry, what our um, sort of how we are presented and where the focus lies from our national organization. I think a lot of the focus is on school-based and um, outpatient therapy, um, mm, okay. not as much focused on the hospital side of things, the medical side. So I think that's part of it, but also our skill sets and, and experiences also vary pretty significantly, mm -hmm. leading to okay. inconsistencies between therapists and recommendations, which as, as some may know, you know, we are the ones who make recommendations for modifying patients' diets while they're in the hospital. And yeah. the impact on, on a patient's quality of life is so significant with that. And you've got some of us who are very conservative and some who are very aggressive. And that inconsistency, sure. I think, lends itself to, in some ways, um, invalidating some of our recommendations sometimes yeah. or, or being uh, just bypassed in other places. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, so walk me through a day in the life of John, the SLP. You go to the hospital, <laughs> what happens? Um, I pay for parking because oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's step one. Uh, if I don't if I don't take our, our transit system, which right now I'm trying to avoid, uh, you know, because of the, the big C. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I've been driving in and, and paying for parking. And then um, I walk in, get screened, uh, temperature taken, and questions asked. Uh, then we get in, and typically I'll make our schedule, or one of my colleagues will make our schedule based on the new evaluations that have come in overnight uh, for patients who've had, like you said earlier, strokes. They'll get a speech and a language evaluation as well as a swallowing evaluation. And then we look at what we've got, and I think most medical professionals are familiar with this idea of triaging, and you see, you know, right. okay, I've got this patient who is an observation patient, meaning that they're not technically admitted and they're waiting for assessment uh, or an NPO patient who isn't able to eat anything until we see them 
typically. Oh, and so you're going to prioritize those people first? Yeah, I'm looking at my, you know, my stroke patients and my observation patients as probably top of my list. Okay. Uh, and then my NPO patients obviously are just a very close second. Mm-hmm. So we, we're in a position at both of my hospitals where so much of our work is evaluation and assessment focused. Uh, in terms of doing therapy, I don't do that much in acute care. It's mostly just trying to prevent backsliding and keep people okay. stable from a respiratory standpoint. We actually, um, in episode 25, uh, speech therapist Shakora did a lot of outpatient work with head and neck cancer patients. And so she kind of talked about the the exercises that she would do to help someone strengthen their neck muscles, their tongue, things like that. So she talked about the therapy a little bit in her episode. So it sounds like you're you're saying that you focus more on evaluating through like testing and um, putting the patient through like a, a litany of questions or things like that like what what is the actual stuff that you do yeah that's a great question we when it comes to swallowing impairments there's two uh what we call instrumental or objective studies that we can do um which are those which require materials beyond our brain and eyes uh so one of them is called a modified barium swallow study um or a video fluoroscopic swallowing study that's essentially where we take a patient down to radiology um, have them drink and eat foods and liquids mixed with barium, which is a contrast, and we observe swallow function. Uh, the purpose of that is not to determine only if stuff is going down the wrong pipe, so to speak, but why. And then we can start to determine a therapy plan of how do we fix or try to diminish the impairment of that specific area. Um, so that's one okay. of the tests. I've actually watched those tests before, and I, I really encourage the listeners to like Google videos on a barium swallow, and it's just the most bizarre thing. If you've never seen one, it'll, it'll be kind of weird looking. But They're so strange. They're so weird to watch. But once you've seen one, you're like, oh, I get what he's talking about. So I encourage everyone, if you haven't seen one, just find a video and like weird yourself out for a second. Mm-hmm. It's not gross. It's just like weird i can't really describe it any other way but it's it's strange to see what's going inside talking about yeah 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 and speaking of gross um the other study we have is called uh a fees and f-e-e-s and that stands for fiber optic endoscopic evaluation of swallowing and this is the one i think that surprised a lot of people uh because we once we're signed off and determined to be competent we are able to pass a scope um through the patient's nasal cavity and at the end of it there's a light and a camera and we then point down to the the vocal folds or vocal cords um, and assess swallow function that way but if you google that or look at that on youtube i encourage you to do it at home uh, because the anatomy is very uh striking i'll put it that way and you'll you'll see when you take a look at it um but I was watching videos in grad school in a coffee shop uh, studying. <laughs> and people were and like, this, oh, what is he doing? This woman came up to me and she said, you should not be watching that stuff in public. And I was <gasps> oh like, God. oh. So she thought I was watching something else. I'll leave it at that. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> but they're, they're very, very, very cool studies. I'm a little biased, but um, I love doing those. And those, I think, are critical um, assessments that need to be completed before we can make 
accurate diagnoses and accurate therapy plans. Because if we don't know what the issue is, then we're just trying everything. So I just want to call out that like you are there performing procedures or assisting with procedures and helping to formulate care plans so that people have more successful health health outcomes. So like you are a healthcare professional, no matter what (laughs) some arrogant and irresponsible person says (laughs) about you. And I think, you know, knowledge is power. So, so it's hard because I think a lot of healthcare professionals only know the SLP that they've worked with, or they, they only know what, um, that one person that they met that one time, how they did it. Uh, so, right. so it's really nice to hear that like you're out there doing procedures, prioritizing care, getting people to eat quicker or, or getting the best plan for them. So I just want to like, I love that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Let's take a break. And when we come back, John is going to share some stories from practice and some self-care, so stay tuned. Welcome back from the break. We have John Yadolahi with us, and he is a speech-language pathologist based out of San Francisco, California, and he has some fun stories to share with us and some stories of uncertainty. So, John, take it away. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, where did you begin? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we were talking during the break about, like, some kind of in-between job that you did because you weren't you weren't sure if you were going to be an SLP anymore. I'm, I've had uh, pretty significant bouts in chronic anxiety and depression for uh, diagnosed like 10 or 11 years now. And, um, you know, I've finally come to a point where through therapy and uh, self-care and medication, I'm, I'm stable, I would say, but... So I took a semester off, and then I went to community college for a semester with my two best friends. Um, and then uh, one of them uh, passed away, and that was really a, a heavy hit. But oh my gosh, um, it's it's something that is still really close to me. It was um, we we all kind of think it was related to being um, over medicated, and so whenever I have patients to this day who who struggle with um, addiction, I really feel especially close to them. And um, I just, I want those people, if anybody is listening who who does struggle with that, that I think it's important to know that we have allies in in healthcare too, and that we do understand and and we're here. (laughs) Um, Wow. So that experience was really heavy, um, but I was able to through the support of family and friends and yeah, really it was depending upon them primarily. Uh, I got back into school and finished. Um, but then I was waitlisted for grad school and mm. um, at three different universities and I was like, man, maybe I'll just yeah, be so many bumps in the road. Else. Yeah. It's like, maybe this isn't the profession for me. Um, yeah. cause I wanted to be a writer initially. Um, but my dad culturally, uh, he's from Iran and he told me that that's not a, that's not a real job. You gotta be. You gotta be in healthcare or a lawyer. 
Um, so I took took a language, and those were the you real jobs. You felt the pressure, yeah. I felt the pressure, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, geez. So you had pressure coming down on you. You had all these hard times. Um, so it's interesting because I said earlier, like 90% of what I do is dysphagia. Um, I would say maybe 80, 90%. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the times where I get to work on cognition um, and language. I had a young guy who was in um, for similar things. He was extubated, took some time, and he was really presenting as like a, somebody who had a brain injury. As the days progressed, you know, his cognitive uh, faculties became a little more apparent. He was conversing more, and he remembered my name one day when I got back in the room. And Oh, um, that's always special. <laughs> it was really special, especially because I don't think he remembered what he had for breakfast that day, but it was, I think, just the continuity of care. Thankfully, I had been there for three or four days in a row at that point, which is rare at <laughs> my two jobs. But we took a walk with a walker to this really special room we have at one of my hospitals that has a beautiful view of San Francisco. And I still, when I think about it, I still get kind of the chills. But we were, he was standing there and I was standing beside him. And I was at that point, I dropped the clinician thing and I was just like, look, man, this, this sucks. And it's going to be hard, but that's what we have to focus on right now. And we can't give up. None of us can, most of all, you. And it was a very... I was like, I was talking to my friend who passed, um, oh except this guy had a chance and he sat there. I was playing, um, this artist Tycho on my phone cause we were talking about music and I was trying to get him like what his, what his interests were. And he loves electronic music and Tycho is one of my favorite artists. So I put a song on for him and we're standing there listening to my favorite Tycho song, looking at San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And he just said, um, this is making me really depressed, but the one thing that's really special about it is that I get to experience my favorite things again for the first time. It got emotional. I was like, I was tearing up. I think I cried a little bit. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's just like, you know, this and gestured it at San Francisco because he didn't remember any of it. Um, okay. So it was all new to him. I explained to him what the Bay Bridge was and what the Golden Gate Bridge was. And that will stick with me forever. Your experiences have helped to I guess position you to like see these patients the way that the, and see what see what they need and intervene in the best way for them that's always my goal uh, I can't say I'm always able to do it because um, none of us are but I really just want them to feel like they're a full human and not a series of diagnoses and things that they're admitted for um, yes, yes. so I often ask them, you know, like, has anybody explained to you what is going on or like why we're doing these tests? And so often the answer is no. Um, and, and that's not to, to diminish the, the, the abilities of our, of our colleagues who are, you know, our MDs and, and things of that nature, they, they've just got a lot on their plates. We, I think as speech therapists have the luxury of getting to talk to our patients as therapy. So yeah, like that is your job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we get to really dive into it and, and take that time and say, well, let's talk about it and let's see if let's make it functional. We'll have a conversation about your healthcare and why and your admission and see what kind of memory strategies we can use to make it safe for you to direct your own medical care, you know, that sort of thing. 
<laughs> the misconception I think a lot of times is that we're the food police and, <laughs> and like glorified feeders. But oh, no. <laughs> it's it's to promote quality of life, whatever that is for that person, not just patient. As as we've talked about in the beginning, you were devalued by another human because you weren't considered a real healthcare professional. I think we've established that you are clearly a real healthcare professional. But, <laughs> and so I'm wondering, how do you calm, calm yourself when things get heated? How do you take care of yourself when you recognize that you need care? Um, what are your self-care strategies? I, I love that question because uh, it's so important to me. I think I do a lot of internal talk i think and uh, through through therapy uh which i've i've unfortunately taken a leave from with with covid uh the zoom therapy meetings are challenging for me it's i don't feel like it's the same uh, sort of environment i i feel like when i go to my therapist's office I, it's a place where i think about things from my childhood that are weird or like cry and all that but when i'm in my room this is where i feel like happy and okay and so to have those feelings in my room is is weird. Um, yeah, you're the first person I've heard that ha that has said that because a lot of people are enjoying some online therapy right now. But I suppose if you have this like established relationship, that I suppose it is different when like you enjoy going. You you know it's a safe space for you. And and I wouldn't say that I enjoy necessarily going there uh, <laughs> because I know I'm gonna be like feeling terrible for some parts of it, but. I enjoy going there and, and, and uh, discovering more and then taking those like heavy feelings and leaving them in a place where I know I can retrieve them if I need to and not have to carry them with me back home necessarily. Therapy is, is one thing that's really helpful for me. Um, also gardening. Uh, so when I'm feeling especially overwhelmed, I like to more recently now with, with our backyard, I like to go out there and just kind of be in the soil and feel it and smell it um and it's very for lack of a better terms grounding you know to yeah to be there with the ground so when you garden i must mm -hmm. know are you like feeding your family <laughs> for, are you preparing for the apocalypse or are you like having like a beautiful like floral tell me everything herbal okay so not a doomsday prepper thankfully um <laughs> so uh, but we are using some so i have a small garden that i uh, a small little raised box okay. or bed that i built okay. um which is another thing that i've been doing is woodworking not very well but i'm doing it um so in there we planted some um, chinese lettuce and uh, arugula uh, chives some things so we are able to use those for food the other side of the backyard has some ferns and i'm right now really trying to get some bamboo black bamboo seeds sprouted uh, i'm doing them actually in my closet to my right right now in a uh, grow setup um, oh my gosh so you have like this like little <laughs> indoor aeroponics <laughs> yeah if you walk into my room you'd wonder like where the smell that you would be expecting is because <laughs> that's not here <laughs> but uh it looks like it I really don't know anything about gardening. This is all just from what I saw my dad and my granddad do when I was a kid and being out there. So I have a lot to learn just like with my profession, um, but I love it just like my profession. John, I literally cannot keep a plant alive and <laughs> I can keep people alive, but 
Like I, and I am from like, my blood is farmers. Like I, I should be able to do it. It sounds like it's a really enjoyable thing. Like you like to focus on it. It's a good hobby. Um, it's a productive thing for you to do and that's good. Yeah. And then you can reap the, uh, the rewards, hopefully. Yeah. Therapy, gardening, you know, our, the, uh, we had a chaplain on, I think it was episode 12 and she actually said the same thing. She goes to therapy and she gets out in her garden. Um, and so it's interesting that like some people have that green thumb or they have that. I wish I had that. Like, I wish I had that motivation to get outside and do (laughs) that. You can grow food and I will eat it. Perfect. And I I will be totally transparent. There are other things that I do, and they're extremely nerdy. Oh, tell me. So I play Magic the Gathering. Uh, It's a card game uh, similar to Dungeons and Dragons in its its monsters and mythical creatures and powers. Uh, And I also do a lot of gaming. So I'm pretty big nerdy now as well. That's, I mean, you're not alone. Um, In episode 18, we had a pharmacy technician on who, that was one of his ways to like completely decompress is to start playing a game. And so maybe we should uh, friend up online then. Yeah, (laughs) maybe there should be a dose of support gaming crew um that gladly um, had that up right like okay john's in charge of that um (laughs) awesome so john if people want to connect with you or stay stay connected with you follow your story how can they find you well previously there it wasn't very easy but with this whole situation like you mentioned at the the onset i i'm on twitter uh it's just my name john yadalahi and i think it'll probably be written out somewhere because it's hard to Try to guess how to spell that. It's mostly just me liking memes and uh, political stuff. <laughs> so I'm not really saying anything. I'm just retweeting and liking. Um, and then I also have a, a YouTube channel where I've shared the video in question. And actually, that's also my name, John Adelahi, on YouTube. And you can always message me if you have questions about speech therapy or feedback about things maybe I could do better. I would always and love that. That's honestly what I did is I I just straight up cold messaged John one day because I was like, <laughs> I watched this I watched this goddamn video and I'm so mad for you <laughs> and I wanna talk to you about your work and and you were totally available and so I really appreciate you coming on the show today, John. Oh my pleasure. Thank you. It's it's been really actually quite lovely. So I um hope you guys stay warm over there and stay safe. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate you listening every week with me. So I will return to your ears next Wednesday. Stay tuned. You can extend a dose of support even further by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, or by giving us a rating or review. You can always support the show monetarily on patreon.com slash dose of support. Dose of support is written, organized, emails, edited, produced, published, all the things by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by John Schreier. I'm punching out this week, but I will be back in your ears next week for another Dose of Support.